So, today is the third part of our series on, on Big Church. And we started, this is a book Andy Stanley did many years ago, and, and, and we started this a couple of weeks ago talking about the fact that the church is a big idea, right? We're not necessarily a big church, but the church is, is a big, big idea. And, and many of us, like, I don't know how you grew up in church, but I grew up in, in church going to uh, Episcopal churches, and, and we, would, we moved around the country and, and all the time. And, and so we'd go to churches based on their historical significance a lot of times and their architectural character, like in the Northeast. We'd, this church has been here for hundreds of years. I'm like, and it's just as boring as the one we left there, you know? And, and, just, and so I would, I would bide my time in church a lot of times by, by counting things. Like I'm a, I, know, I know that y'all know I'm a weird personality, but I, I'm, I'm very like ordered, like I count things and patterns and I find patterns and stuff. And, and so like if ceiling tiles, we used to have the asbestos tiles that you could see in here. Now we just hid them from your view. They're still there. Um, and, and you could count the little holes in there. Like, it, did you ever do like our 1960s air grates? Like the, this is perfect for me if I'm sitting out there and, and the service is just horrible. I would count the number of holes that are black blowing asbestos into our lungs um, and see how many each one is, right? And so I would do stuff like that just to, to buy the, what you can do in here right now is you can count holes in stained glass. Yeah, it's not funny. There's holes in stained glass from the hailstorm. Um, so now you're all looking. Yeah, the church is a whole lot, whole lot holier today than it was last Sunday. You know what I'm talking about? Quite literally. Um, and so, uh, and I would do stuff like that because a lot of times the churches where we went, um, there were those kind of church services that you endured. You know what I'm talking about? You just endured a church. Oh, we gotta go to church type deal. But, but church shouldn't, that's not what church ever, ever, ever was meant to be. You know, church was, it wasn't even about the building. It wasn't about the pastor or the robes or the choir or the band or whatever it was. It was, it was a movement, right? The church was launched on this day when we celebrate Pentecost, when, when the Holy Spirit descended upon Peter and the other disciples and, and they began to speak in the languages of everyone around them so that they could understand and hear the story. And they weren't telling people about the teachings of Jesus. They were telling people that Jesus Christ died and was resurrected, right? They were telling people that Jesus was the son of God who conquered death for the sins of the world. And, and they were doing so as witnesses. Right? I mean, they were, they were eyewitnesses. It was two months about after the resurrection of Jesus and they're going around telling people, no, 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 this is what we saw. We were there when it happened. And I can show you a whole bunch of people who also saw it go down. And, and it was a movement where, where people just started talking about what they saw and who Jesus is and who Jesus is in their lives and what he can do for them. And 3,000 people came into the church on that day and they baptized every one of them, right? It was this glorious, huge thing. 
And then they continued to talk about it, right? And Peter and John get thrown into prison and then they're out, their lives are threatened, but they just won't stop talking about the name of Jesus. And, and they continue to talk about the name of Jesus. And, and then they say this prayer. Remember last week, they go in as this group and they pray to God and, and we'd pray for protection, but they're like, no, 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 give us more boldness. Like give us, fill us with your words that we can go out, put your hand on us that we're gonna do signs and wonders and we'll heal people so that people may know who you are. And the church, Luke says, there's 5,000 men who, who, who were a part of the, the, the group that believed in Jesus. And that's not counting the women or the children. And so if you look at that number, we're, we're approaching 10% of the population of Jerusalem at the time is believing in Jesus. This huge, huge movement. And it was all about the movement. It was all about the fact that Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose again. But there were people who were against it because there was a religious structure and powers and balance of power between the Romans and, and the church, uh, the, 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 the Jewish church, the Israelites, the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And, and so there was this people who were threatened by what was happening and they would come after the disciples. But, but then all these people start hearing about what's going on and, and they're bringing people in from the outside of Jerusalem. Now, now the little cities and the villages around Jerusalem, word gets out to them and, and they're bringing them in for the disciples to lay hands on them and to heal them. And all of a sudden these people are looking out and they're going, the rabbis are going, man, you used to be in my synagogue. Why, why haven't you come any longer? Well, cause Peter healed my grandmother and you've never done anything like that. All you do is read old scriptures to me. We're going to see that guy, right? And so this church started just growing by numbers and numbers because of what was happening. And then people started noticing that this church, this early church, this movement wasn't just focused on the insiders. They weren't just focused on the people who already knew who Jesus were. In fact, they were focused on the outsiders and they were loving in such a, this, this radical generosity started happening and they were loving people in such a way, even if they were their enemies, they were loving them. And Luke says that people took notice and, they, and people started looking at these Christians and, and like seeing them as someone that they had favor upon, not because they believed what they believed, but they're like, they treat everybody well. They love, it doesn't matter what you believe, they're going to love you. They're going to support you and, and help you. And, and so it just started spreading out there. And it all came from that first moment, that first prayer. They're like, God, give us boldness. Let us be bold as we go into this world. And they didn't stop talking. But this, of course, just really angers the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It just becomes more and more of an issue for them. And so what happens is the, the, the disciples are out there and they're talking, they're bringing people to Jesus and they're healing them and it's amazing stuff. And, and the Pharisees, they arrest them and they throw them all in prison, all 12 of them because they've replaced Judas by this time. And they throw all 12 into prison and they're all in prison overnight. And then something, someone lets them out, right? It's overnight, but then the gates open, they walk on out and where do they go? Back to the temple back to talk about Jesus, the very place where they had just been captured and thrown into prison. They go back to the temple and, and they're there talking about Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And then the Jews killed Jesus and, and they, the, the religious orders finally had enough and they send an armed guard to go arrest them and to bring them in. And, and it says, Luke says, the, the soldiers show up, these guards show up and they go into the temple 
And they're like, and they look around and all of these people are crowded around Peter and the other disciples and they're hearing about the name of Jesus and, and all the different things that Jesus has done and the fact that he is the resurrected son of God. And, and they're hearing all, and people are like, oh yes, yes, yes. The, the guard is like, you arrest him. I don't wanna arrest him, you arrest him. Like they don't wanna get close to him. And it says, they're like, they're worried that if they go and they arrest him, that the people are gonna turn on them and stone them to death. And so what the guard does is they walk up to Peter and they're like, hey, um, this is really awkward, but we're here to arrest you, but we're really kind of scared. Could you just go ahead and arrest yourself? Be real, real, real big honor for me. You know, you help a brother out, right? Arrest yourself, come back with us to prison. It'll be great. And so Peter and the disciples are like, all right. And they go back. And then they meet with the religious leaders. So they, they come before the religious leaders and, um, and the religious leaders tell them, look, we get it. Um, oh, I skipped. Uh, so the religious, they come before the religious leaders and the apostles are, are brought before the Sanhedrin, which is the legal system of the time. And, and the legal system of the time is they're, 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 they're adjudicating things and they sit with the high priest who's the guy over everybody, right? This Caiaphas guy, he is, he's the man. And, and so they go before the high priest and the high priest says this to them. He goes, hey, look, look, we gave you strict orders not to teach in that name. Now he doesn't say the name, he stays very far away from it. He goes, we, just, we gave you strict orders not to mention that name. What is it about that name, right? The name of Jesus that, that even to this day really is divisive. Because like we, we can talk about God, like when you're in groups of people, it's, it is less offensive to talk about God than it is to talk about Jesus, right? I, I mean, so, so often you're in, even with your own family maybe, you, you can talk about God because God's a little bit, uh, he's up there, we don't really understand God. God is a little bit, you know, way up here. And, and really God covers a multitude of religions if you look at it. Well, it's the same God for the Jews and maybe even the Muslims. And I don't know, God's a little bit less offensive, but Jesus, Jesus was real. Like you can't, you can't deny that Jesus lived and existed because everybody, regardless of the religion, talks about him, wrote about him. And Jesus is different. And so many of us often, even to this day, we hold the name of Jesus back because we don't want to offend or because we're scared of what would happen if we are known as Jesus people. And so the chief priest is like, look, look, we told you strict orders not to mention that name. He says, yet you have filled Jerusalem. This is huge, right? There are a ton of people now who are coming to hear about the name of Jesus and believing in Jesus. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty for this man's blood. Can you imagine what Peter's thinking? He's like, you are. Like, like we were all, this isn't something we, wrote, we read about. We saw it happen about two months ago. We were all there. I was there in your house when you had him arrested and people started punching him and going, hey, prophesy where that hit came from. I saw all that go down. Now I denied him three times and I walked out with my head in shame, but he brought me back up. So let's not talk about that right now. But I saw it happen. I was there. We all witnessed it. John was with Jesus's mother as they looked at the cross. We saw it happen. We saw him laid in the tomb and then we saw him walking around again. 
you did do that. Like Peter's gotta be just itching to come after them, right? And the, and the Pharisees are like, just shh. So Peter responds. He says, look, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors, our ancestors, raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed, hanging him on the cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. And we are witnesses of this. This isn't something we read about or heard about. We saw it. And this is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion because it was seen. Jesus Christ dying, being laid in the tomb and raised again was seen. We're witnesses to this. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And so Peter doesn't back down. In fact, he, he doubles down. He's like, you killed him. God raised him for the forgiveness of our sins. And so everybody is like freaking out. And this guy steps forward. They were furious. They wanted to put him, put him all to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. It says, then he addressed the Sanhedrin. He goes, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do with these men. Like right now we have one guy who's been killed. We have one martyr. If we put 12 more, that's a whole nother story, right? So let's, let's tap the brakes a little bit. Everybody settle down. Let's think about this before we just execute these guys or have the Romans execute them for us. Some time ago, Thutis appeared claiming to be somebody and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed and all of his followers dispersed. It all came to nothing. All right, we don't know who this Thutis was, but what Gamaliel is pointing out, he's like, look, look, you remember this guy, like he rose, he had a whole big following. Then the Romans were like, yeah, no, put him to death and everything ended. He goes on and he says, after him, Judas the Galilean. Now we do know about Judas the Galilean because there's more stuff written about him outside of the Bible. And, and there's, there's a whole record of who he was. Judas the Galilean was a guy who lived um, uh, in, during the time of the Syrian reign. And the Syrians wanted to raise taxes. And so they had a census, right? They took a census to see who lives where, how many people live where, and so that they can raise your taxes. Does it sound familiar to anybody, right? It's, there's nothing new under the sun, right? And, and so they're doing this. And, and Judas goes, man, we're not paying taxes. You know, we're, there's no way we're paying taxes. And so he gathers together this whole group of Jews who are, who are adamant that they are not going to pay taxes to this foreign government who has control over them. And the group becomes known as the zealots. You ever heard of the term zealot? This is the first time the zealots are used. And they, they, were, they were insanely crazy about this. And in fact, they, they had these little um, knife things that were, looked like a question mark and they were called Iscariots. And, and what would happen is you'd walk into these little villages, they would, the zealots would walk into these little villages and they'd have their arms in their robes and, and they'd have this knife, the Iscariot underneath their robes so it couldn't be seen. 
And these villages are really tightly packed, right? They're, they're narrow alleyway for, for walkways and things. And so people are all on each other and, you know, total not social distancing norms. And so they're walking through and, and what they would do is they would take those knives and when they would come up next to a Roman soldier, their, their chest plate was, went down to here, but there was a spot where they connected, where they could get inside. And they would quickly dra- drag the knife, drive the knife into and up in the Roman soldier's body and rip it out and the Roman soldier would drop dead. No one would see what happened because they would do it so quick and so violently and then they would just disappear in the crowd. This was insane, right? I mean, the Roman soldiers were dropping like that and so Rome said no more and they put an end to it. They killed Judas the Galilean quickly and violently and everybody disappeared. Everybody who followed him scattered. Right, and it, that's what Gamaliel is saying. He's like, look, look, you remember Judas the Galilean? Remember that? He got a whole big people up. We didn't want to pay taxes either, right? Because this is what the Sanhedrin did. This is what the Pharisees did. And he's reminding them. Because look, remember Thutis? Remember Judas? Rome took care of it. Any, anybody that's going to come against the authority of Rome, when they start making too many waves, Rome's going to stomp on them. And they're going to put it away. Now, look, we didn't want to pay taxes either. Remember? I love Judas. Judas was awesome. I'm like, no taxes either. But we didn't say that to the Romans. We stood beside and we said, hey, this guy's causing some waves, Rome. You should pay attention to him. But to Judas, we were like, hey, keep doing it, man. Nobody wants to pay taxes. Keep going, keep going. Right? You see this. And what he's reminding them is like, dude, we played this perfectly. We were the political geniuses of the day right? Rome believed that we were on their side. The people believed that we were on their side. We walked both sides and we're still in power. So think about this, everybody, right? Before, Before we put these men to death, everybody settled down. So he delivers this, this big speech and he says, he finishes with this. So therefore I advise you in this present case, because leave these men alone, let them go for if For if their purpose or activity is of human origins, Rome will take care of it. Like Rome will stop it. We don't have to worry about this. But if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. Because what he understood was in order for Rome to be taken down, it had to be an act of God. He he was... In order for this oppression to truly end, God's gonna have to intervene because the Romans are so adamantly against all of this stuff other than their own power. Have you ever been to modern day Rome? What, what, is, what, what symbol is more in the city of Rome than anywhere else in the world? What? The cross, right? There are more crosses in the city of Rome than anywhere else in the world. And that's not for the Romans to go, Man, we were amazing at crucifixions. You should have seen the amount of people we crucified. We lined them up by the thousands up and down the roads. It's, it's to celebrate one. It's to focus on one. Many people would say, the Catholics especially, that Rome is the center part of Christianity in the world today. So Gamaliel knew what he was talking about. He's like, look, if Rome's gonna change, then God's gonna have to move. So let's just let him go. And so the, the speech persuaded them. And they called the apostles in and, and they had them flogged. 
Now flogging, we, uh, this is a verse that if you're reading through, you read through quickly and they say they have them flogged and, and then they order them not to speak in the name of Jesus anymore and they let them go. But let's, how many of you have seen the case for Christ? That, not the case for Christ, the um, Passion of the Christ, the movie, The Passion of the Christ. Do you remember the flogging scene? Many of us, when we think of flogging, we think of just whipping, somebody being whipped. That's not what it is. It's so much more violent than that. The, the flogging of, of what would go down is there, there would be a whip, but the, at the end of this cat of nine tails would, would be these pieces of strand that would have broken shards of wood and broken shards of metal and broken shards of what they would consider glass, this pottery stuff on the end of it. And what they would do is they would take these whips and beat the people on their front and on their back, starting at the shoulders all the way down and rip into the flesh and rip the flesh away from their bodies. Many, many people didn't survive the flogging. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be one of these disciples? To, to, be, to be sitting there in this, they're teenage boys, right? For the most part, Peter's probably not, but the rest of them are teenagers. And here they are, and, and they're not backing down because they saw with their own eyes that Jesus was resurrected. And here the religious authorities of their day are are flogging them, are whipping them, are ripping them apart for the rest of their lives, they will have these marks on their bodies. For the rest of their lives, wherever they go, if they take their shirt off because it's so hot and they're working out in the sun, or maybe they're gonna go swim in the Jordan River, every time they take their shirt off and they expose their back or even their legs, people will see and know that at some level they're a criminal. Can you imagine what it would be like to know that that's coming? to sit there as they begin with Peter and they flog him. And I don't care how much you love Jesus, if something like that is ripping into your back and into your muscles and ripping it away from the bone, you're going to cry out and you're going to scream. Can you imagine what it would have been like for the rest of that group to be sitting there knowing that they were next? It would have taken hours to get through those 12. Can you, the physical trauma, not to mention the emotional trauma that that would have on them. I, I, I mean, let, let's think about this. I, we talk about post-traumatic stress disorder. That right there is pre, during, and post. There is nothing good about that situation. But listen to what Luke says. He says, the apostles left the Sanhedrin. Watch this rejoicing. They left carried out by other believers who had to have come to get them and to physically carry them because they could not walk on their own. They left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. I mean, think about that mentality. In their mind's eye, they're like, look, he gave his life for us, I will give some skin off of my back. He gave his life for me, I will give up my reputation. He gave his life for me, are you kidding me? I get to experience just a, a taste of what he went through. Oh, they rejoiced because they got to suffer for the name of Jesus. Now look, we live in arguably the safest country of the world one of the safer cities. Most of us live in the safest neighborhood in these cities, in this city. We don't suffer for the name of Jesus. 
We, uh, we certainly don't suffer the, the, way, the way that they did. Yeah, there are parts of the world today that people suffer for the name of Jesus the same way that these disciples are, but we don't. Can you imagine what, what it would seem like to, to folks to hear that like we, we get to walk around and we get to cry Jesus when we wanna cry Jesus and we get to keep him quiet when we wanna keep him quiet. The, the only suffer, like look, Jesus gave his life for you. Are you willing to give up your bonus for him? Are you willing to, to not take that promotion? Are you willing to, look, we have eight, seniors in high school that are graduating and going on to college. And we're so proud of every, every one of those seniors. You seniors, if you're in, in the house right now or watching online, are you willing to give up your, your fraternity or sorority choice for the name of Jesus? Are, are you willing to, like, to, to love Jesus so much that you're not invited back to play tennis with that group of people that you played with for years? Are we willing to, to suffer? And look, these are... To say this kind of suffering to the disciples, talk about eye rolling. Like, that's what you call suffering? Really? Wow. And yet, how many people know where you stand with Jesus? How bold are we truly as a church? How bold are we as a community of believers? We, we hold ourselves back for fear of what? Now, I'm not saying we all need to be crazy Jesus freaks because that's counterproductive. People run away from me at that point. But do you take a stand? Do you have a line? Do you live your life every day for Jesus regardless of what happens? Imagine what it would be like if we, if we became that big bold church again, because if they weren't bold, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't know what it means to have eternity of peace. We wouldn't, we wouldn't know who Jesus is if they weren't bold and got flogged and said, bring it on. That's all you got? Because he has more. What would it be like if, if we really leaned, leaned into that? How can you become more bold? Here's three little baby steps for you, all right? In, in order to be bold, say something rather than nothing, right? Bold is, is, is taking the opportunity to say something rather than, than holding something back. Now, it doesn't mean something mean or something derogative, but it's, it's listening and waiting for those moments to say something. You know, I, I don't know if you know this, but I'm a pastor. Um, and, and many times, back in the days when you used to get, people got on planes and would fly places, you all remember those when people would travel? Like, it seems like ages and ages ago, right? But when I would sit on planes, whenever you get on a plane, there's, I'm, I'm the type of person, there's two types of people, right? The person who wants to get on the plane and wants everyone to leave them alone. Like, I'm gonna put on earphones, I'm gonna put a, a mask on my face, I'm gonna, now you can wear socially distant, keep six feet feet away, brother, all right? Stay away from me. I don't wanna to talk to you. I don't care where you're going because we're going to the same place, right? Because we're on the same plane. Um, and so I don't wanna hear about your life story or your Nana, any of that stuff. That's me. There's other people who get on the plane who are like waiting for someone. They're like, you know, Southwest where there's no, they're like, seat right here. You can sit here. Here you go, sit here, sit here, sit here. Always walk by that person. Always walk by, free advice right there. But you have this thing. And so when people get on the plane, a lot of times, what's one of the questions people always ask? So what do you do, right? And you get asked this question just the same way as I do. I don't always answer it truthfully. 
to be honest. Because when you say, I'm a pastor, it changes everything, good and bad, right? Because when you say, I'm a pastor, people automatically start thinking, what have I said in the last five minutes that is going to send me to hell? Because I'm the hell police, apparently. Not the hail police, because that came through the windows. But, you know, and so, or they're like, oh, thank goodness, a pastor. I hate the church and they wanna unload their years of hurt and heartache. And, and man, they should unload those things and get healing for them, but it wasn't me, you know, or they just wanna get in this deep theological. And I'm like, dude, we're going to Houston. It's gonna take 45 minutes, all right, up, down. They won't even serve you drinks, okay? So sometimes I say I'm in sales. What do you do? I'm in sales. Oh, really? What do you sell? Real estate. Huh, commercial or residential? Eternal. Usually shuts them up right there, right? Or, or I'll say like, I'm a motivational speaker or, or, you know, just something like that. Oh, I talk for a living, that's it. Really? Yeah, I'd, I'd pimp some products, cross, Jesus, things like that. But I, I, try to, I try to stay elusive sometimes. But here's being bold. Being bold is every time somebody asks me is say, I'm a pastor. And what happens, happens because there have been moments where I have answered truthfully and it has led to amazing conversations where someone has said, you know, it was silence for a long time. And then they come back and say, you know, I've always had this question. And it opened a door for healing. Being bold is saying something when, when your normal inclination is to not. Being bold is, 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 taking, is taking opportunities, advantage of the opportunities that you're given. Is jumping into, like you see something that's about to happen and you see, man, I am so busy. I have such a big schedule. I need to be over there across town at these meetings but God just laid something up right in front of me and I need to take advantage of it. I don't care if I'm late and I get in trouble, God gave me an opportunity. Being bold is taking advantage of those opportunities. Being bold is creating opportunities. Being bold is stepping out of your comfort zone, stepping out of the, the church's comfort zone and saying, we are gonna do something big and amazing because God is big and amazing. I, I, I gotta tell you, I, I believe that as we've come through, I said this earlier, that as we've come through this quarantine time, that God is stirring something up in a lot of people's hearts and souls, that you're worshiping better than you ever have. And there's not as many of you in the room, right? I mean, we're, we're coming to a different place and, and we're stepping out and the church needs to be in a different place. We need to regain the big church mentality that we know who Jesus is. Now we didn't see it with our own eyes, but I saw what it did in my life. And so I need to be big and bold about it. And I think the church needs to be big and bold and we need to take some steps that we, we, we would not have a year ago. And we need to say, no, 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 we're doing ministry differently today than we did then because the world has changed and the world needs Jesus more now than ever. And so one of the things I'm doing right now is I have my eye and, and there's someone in the room that I've been talking to and he tells me I shouldn't do this, but I have my eye on a 1959 Studebaker bus built on a Ford F-350 chassis. Come on. I mean, with a 7.3 liter diesel engine, right? And you're like, why? Because I wanna make it the Jesus party bus. Yeah, you better believe it. So you're gonna turn heads with a 1959 Studebaker bus. You know what you're not gonna turn heads in? A 2006 Nissan people mover. You know what I'm saying? And it just doesn't have the same ring to it, right? You know, but Studebaker, you put the shield on it, the St. Andrew's shield, and you drive around our communities and you hand out ice cream and you hand out pizza and you say, hey, can we pray for you? Jesus loves you, that's it. We start throwing out t-shirts and we start throwing out different things like that. Who doesn't want a little piece of that? 
The worship team's up, my, my man Jordan's on board. Right, do crazy, we gotta start thinking outside of the box because guess what? People aren't going to come to the church. Not this church, any church. We gotta go to them. Yeah, Peter and those guys first went to the temple and they began their ministry in the temple, but you know what they did after that? Left the temple. And they went out around and they were bold in their faith. And they said, we saw what Jesus did and who he is. And you need to hear about it. And they performed miracles and they healed people and they ran into trouble, but they didn't stop. And if we're a church who truly believes that God sent his only son to die so that we might have life as we believe in him, then we can't keep that message to ourselves. We, we can't just come in here and celebrate it and say, man, I got my real estate in heaven and so do you and I'll see you up there one day. We gotta go now because there's hurt now. There's heartache right now. People need to hear the hope and the grace and the peace and the resurrection message that we have. So I don't want you to stay safe. And I said this last week. I don't want you to stay safe because that's not who Jesus Christ called us to be. That's not what God set up as the church. He called us to stay bold. He called us to be bold and the church has always been bold. So let's stay bold. Let's get out of our comfort zones and break down barriers and go into the world with the hope of the resurrected Jesus Christ. The church is a movement. It always has been. And it remains a movement today. So let's move, let us pray. Father, we thank you and praise you so much that you are a God who, who went before us, who gave his life so that we might have ours. You are a God who in big and bold ways laid everything out and said, if you just believe in me, you'd have life, you'd have hope, you'd have peace. And so Father, we believe. And God, I know that there's a lot out there, maybe some watching online, maybe some here in the room that, that have been hurt by the church, been burned by the church, that, that Christians they think suck. And guess what? We do. And we're sorry for that. We, I, I am sorry for the ways that we have treated you in the past and the ways that we have shunned you and, and the ways that we have looked inside as opposed to outside. That's not God's intention for the church. God's intention is for us to be loving to all people and to tell them the truth about who Jesus is. And so God, help us to love one another as you loved us. Help us to live our lives boldly so that others may find hope and peace in you. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.